0: Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio here with R.C. Maxwell. He is the National Coordinator for the American Voice Political Action Committee, which you can check out at AmericanVoicePAC.org. We'll put the links to that to that below. R.C., thanks for taking the time today.
1: Thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan of the show.
0: Thank you very much. So you've got a tale to tell, and I'm not going to get in your way. Why don't you just say what happened to you recently?
1: Uh, Well, I hope my story is one for a lot of conservatives for these kind of rally style events. Uh, They're becoming extremely dangerous. Uh, We're vastly outnumbered. Um, And and that's because, you know, I really think the mainstream media is emboldening people to hate Trump supporters. Uh, Obviously, everyone has seen the video. I never wanted to get notoriety for being punched. But however, uh, you know. I'm completely okay with it because I think it shows the violence of these counter-protesters that always get deemed peaceful by the mainstream media.
0: Well, and your goal was to engage in a fruitful and productive dialogue, uh, which, of course, is the essence of civilization. So give me the sort of blow-by-blow, so to speak, of of how it played out.
1: Yeah, the blow-by-blow is simple. You know, uh, on my way to the other side— I was harassed by people who knew who I was and they kept imploring me, put up, put back on your MAGA hat, put on your MAGA hat. Um, You know, and obviously I had it off because, you know, I didn't want to be that arrogant and that brash with the other side. I I legitimately wanted to talk to them, you know, as a black man um, who you know, specifically grew up in a lot of the areas in the black community, so um, you know, the blow by blow is simple I was quickly encircled by uh, Antifa and these counter-protesters you know, they yelled racialized attacks, sell out Uncle Tom, you know, words I hear commonly Uh, and I really just tried to reason with the other side, explain to them what illegal immigration has done to the black community and this is why I feel the way I do Um, and before I could really have any dialogue with the other side their emotions got the better of them and uh, you know, I was attacked multiple times, the sucker punch, and then obviously, I was also pepper sprayed, choked and tackled. So uh, I think this is a lesson, hopefully going forward, about the dangers of, you know, play, uh, playing up the notion that conservatives are, are racist and Nazis, because clearly, I'm not
0: right, right. And um, well, of course, your political orientation and your race go against a particular narrative that the media wants to push. So you are in a sense, a double threat. Now, You couldn't get your message across to the, I don't know, I don't even want to call them the the brutes, the whatever you want to call them. But what is it that you would like people to hear? You know, we get a couple of hundred thousand or more people who, what is the speech that you wanted to give to the leftists that you really, really want people to hear about the black community, illegal immigration and other issues?
1: Yeah, the speech I wanted to pretty much give was, you know, a little bit of, uh, of a more legitimate, truthful narrative about Trump supporters. Uh, you got to remember, Trump polled about a third of Hispanics, and he also polled more African Americans than the previous two Republican presidential candidates. So I wanted to explain a little bit why that is. You know, Trump talking about Chicago and the violence that black families face there is something that doesn't get shown on the media. Um, so, yeah, you know, the message I was trying to send is, look, you know, people who are Trump supporters aren't xenophobic. I'm not xenophobic. I speak a little bit of Spanish. However, that doesn't mean that I don't see the negative consequences of illegal immigration uh, and, and some of the other Trump agenda items. So, uh, you know, my, my goal was really just to kind of, you know, engage in dialogue, break down some of the barriers that's resulting in uh, the increase in, in political violence that we see. But uh, yeah, I think because specifically, I am a double edged sword to, to liberals, um, they don't want to talk to me that they'd rather just Uh, be at a loss for words, and and then use violence. So, um, yeah.
0: And what is the kind of stuff that you've seen going on in your community regarding the effects of illegal immigration?
1: Uh, I see a problem with gang violence. Uh, You see a problem with schools. Uh, For example, a school in Maxine Waters' district, Inglewood, that school district has gotten taken over by the state of California because of its problems. This is a school district that I once attended and was able to, to you know, uh, find some value in the education they had to offer. However, uh, you know, illegal immigration has lots of sociological implications. And you see a city like Inglewood and they're going through gentrification and all these other sorts of issues. Uh, but some of the, the, the members of the black community refuse to look at, at some of the you know, symptoms of that. You look at Maxine Waters, for example. She's gerrymandered millions of dollars into that district. But who has seen the benefit? You know, no one. Um, so these are facts and particularisms that I, I genuinely like to discuss. And, uh, you know, this is what I was trying to bring to the forefront of Laguna Beach. Um, and this is just what I do generally. You know, I, I write articles about this kind of stuff. So I'm really trying to make sure that uh, we can change the problematic narrative coming from the left side about what this new conservative movement is all about.
0: Right. I mean, to me, the big question, uh, RC, is always, you know, does the left claim like they claim to care about minority communities, black communities and so on? Do they actually care in terms of like the data and, and the facts and the view on the ground and the trajectory of these communities or is it just something that they say because, you know, I guess a lot of blacks are going to vote Democrat and the illegal immigrants are going to be supported uh, by people who are going to vote Democrat? Is it just vote harvesting and actually has nothing to do with genuine compassion for a community, which must start with listening to people in the community and with basic facts?
1: Absolutely. It's definitely vote harvesting. You can look to the fact that, I mean, right now, the liberal agenda for the black community seems to be find Colin Kaepernick a job. Uh, and then it seems to be, <laughs> uh, let's take down Confederate monuments right? I mean, no one's talking about uh, how Donald Trump has increased uh, sorry, decreased the the black unemployment percentage. No one is talking about school choice and how that can be good uh, for black families in the inner city. Um, Instead, you know, you see these kind of tokenizing measures. And I think a, a lot of black people at this point in America, you know, they need to come to realize this and start asking questions about why does the liberal agenda only suit to tokenize uh, productive things that could be done in the black community, as opposed to embedder it.
0: Well, and look, I can understand the arguments, you know, 50 years ago, maybe 40 years ago, saying, well, you know, blacks historically treated unjustly in America, let's get resources and pour them into the black community. And that's just going to make everything better. In a kind of amoral way, I can understand that argument. But man, as, as the data has poured in about how, you know, illegitimacy is on the rise, educational standard, graduation rates are, are getting lower, crime is, is on the rise in many ways, the shootings that go on and on, I think it's time to reevaluate. And it's kind of tough to change course when you've had like a half century of thinking one way is going to solve all the problems. But again, you, you've got to be nimble when it comes to really caring about people.
1: Yeah, and I think this is the fault of our black leaders, or not necessarily the black leaders in the community, but people who have been characterized as our leaders. Mm. Um, like ever since uh, the, the end of civil rights in the 1960s, you have to ask yourself who has been a black leader really, you know, being productive for the for the black community. Um, and, and really, it's really hard to pinpoint anyone. So, uh, you know, I understand. Look, agitation tactics of Black Panthers were something extremely necessary in the 1960s. But you have to ask yourself, why does Black Lives Matter? Uh, still use agitation as a tactic today. Uh, You know, they could be working on creating cultural sensitivity training programs for law enforcement. Uh, They can be, you know, advocating for some hardline, you know, material uh, strategy that could improve the life of the black community. But instead, you know, they resort to kind of, uh, you know, the same kinds of agitation tactics popularized by Jesse Jackson, uh, which is a problem because it's 2017. You know, we see elites like Barack Obama who has you know black skin? Who has pretty much you know uh, not done anything in terms of crafting a message of substantiated value to the black community? Um, and so I think we have to start looking at our black leaders. I'd like to see people like Dr. Ben Carson, uh, C. L. Bryant, and Raynard Jackson. You know, people who do some of the hard work creating tangible material solutions to black communities' problems. I'd like to see them get a little more popularity and less people like Sean White. Who uh, you know kind of just makes money on inciting violence and turmoil?
0: Well, this um, this question of, of how to help communities is, I mean, there is stuff that needs to come in from the outside, but in my opinion, as well there's stuff that needs to be done from the inside. And there's been a lot of focus on let's bring in resources to the outside to help the community. And I think that's kind of hollowed out a sense of empowerment and choice within the community. As you say, you know, these various groups, they could be working on restoring the black family, you know, which used to be stronger than the white family up until mm-hmm. the 1950s, you know, they could be doing a lot of things to really help out within the community and empower people within the community rather than having them just sit there and wait for another law to give them more resources.
1: Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate that you see kind of the social acceleration uh, of the left wing agenda, and how it really disenfranchises African Americans. You ask your average black family, how they feel about, uh, you know, transposed gender roles, or you ask <laughs> a, a black community about how they feel about, uh, you know, uh, removing Confederate statues, you know, they They won't get excited about that they aren't inspired by that they are inspired by a pro economic nationalist platform they're inspired by true social reforms that make their life better Um, but you never see that on the mainstream media i'd like to really see what a black mother in chicago feels about the lack of attention on homicides in that area
0: well and of course as you mentioned and i wanted to pause on a little bit the school choice uh, is to me essential you see the lineups of uh, you know not just blacks but all the people in poor communities so you see the lineups of them desperate and dying to get into charter schools you know the lottery the heartbreak i mean these are people who are desperate for a solution to break this cycle of poverty and it seems just routinely they're being denied their heart's yearning is just stomped on repeatedly uh, for the sake of gathering votes from the teachers and the teachers unions and getting resources and money and so on i think it's just so brutal
1: Yeah, you know, and it's shocking that, you know, the Democrats still placate themselves as the party for minorities, even though minorities stand the most to benefit from school choice, Uh, especially in, in areas like California, where there's an overpopulation issue. Um, as a result of, of course, illegal immigration, you know, you have to ask yourselves when, when there's such a push from the left to stifle school choice, to stifle school vouchers, and to demonize Betsy DeVos for trying to bring some of that into the forefront, how is this actually better for the black community? And I can tell you that it's absolutely not. And, uh, you know, I think the left hates me because I'm doing a good amount to, you know, educate black voters on such.
0: Well, Let's talk a little bit about the media. You've obviously had some very powerful criticisms of the the race baiting and the escalation and the defense of this kind of uh, violence. But how have you been received or how has this attack upon you been received? You know, we've all been around for some of the mainstream media's hysteria over violence against certain black individuals and Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown and so on. How has the media responded to what happened to you and the cause of it?
1: Well, I can definitely say that you know we're slowly starting to see a little bit more mainstream coverage on, on the attack that I received in Laguna. Um, but mostly, it's just been in right-wing uh, radio. It's been on uh, local TV news sources because it happened uh, you know here locally. Uh, I I did get a mention in the Washington Post. Gave them some quite some very staunch quotes. They actually ended up posting them. However, CNN has been pretty silent on this fact, and I think that's significant. CNN ran twenty four seven. Uh, You know, uh, reels of violence in the aftermath of Charlottesville, you know, demonizing conservatives and kind of, you know, uh, characterizing counter protesters of the alt left as valorous. And we've not seen CNN cover my attacks at all, which I think is an important double standard there, because CNN wants to, you know, pretend that, you know, they care about black lives so much. Don Lemon, Simone Sanders, uh, you know, and some of these other folks who would be jumping at the opportunity to show a video of a black man assaulted by, by a white individual uh, has said nothing about it. And I think that really points out the fact that advocacy media is what these kind of outlets like, like CNN and MSNBC are, um, given the fact that Fox is the only one covering it.
0: Well, and I think it also helps. You know, we were told that there's all of this racial animosity and that it's nothing It's all about race and identity and so on. But given how you've been treated versus if you were a member of Black Lives Matter at a Trump rally, where I can't imagine something like this would happen, but if it did, right, it would be 24-7, wall-to-wall, it really shows to me that the divisions – I mean, political isn't even quite strong enough a phrase you know the people who want stuff from the government and the people who want to go and work and may will probably end up contributing to the government those who are on the receiving end of government power and those who are on the harvesting end of government power that's the line that i see uh, rc going right down the middle of not just america but in the west as a whole and because you're on the i want to work and be productive and let's stop at the handout stuff you're on the other side of the line it doesn't matter the color of your skin i think that's where the real divide is and once we start to understand that we can, I think, really start to cool it on some of the race baiting and recognize that it's a value fight that we're in. It's a culture fight where it's not a racial fight.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think most people in in the real world, they realize this, you know, if you go to... uh some sort of social gathering, you can see an honest discussion about race without some of the kind of race baiting uh, framing that, that you see in the mainstream media. So uh, I think the good thing is if you talk to a good amount of, of the black community, they do have a problem with the way that racial issues are characterized by the mainstream media. You know, African-Americans used to be one of uh, black men were entering the workforce in record numbers under Reagan. And we've seen that drop under Clinton. That's a result of dependence policy. And I think black people uh, hopefully are starting to realize this. Uh, You know, I've seen a lot of uh, sensationalism uh, when people when Donald Trump came into office, you know, people saying he was going to take benefits away. But majority of the black families that I know, um, you know, they don't they don't necessarily rely on benefits. So. Um, The thing is, you know, we have a a problem with the media blurring the line of truth and reality. And the unfortunate thing is the black community ends up being the pawn in this show. Um, So hopefully, you know, we see ourselves moving towards an area where we have more legitimate, open dialogue about politics. And and I think that, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton pulling out a bottle of hot sauce uh, isn't going to be enough for Democrats to keep getting the black vote anymore. So hopefully our our black community uh, will continue to be awoken. Uh, by some of the the issues and hypocrisy uh, within the mainstream media.
0: Well, that's fantastic. I'm sorry that you had to take a body blow to get this message out. But, you know, you try and get as much good out of the evil that you suffer. I really appreciate your time today. Just wanted to remind people, R.C. Maxwell, the National Coordinator for the American Voice Political Action Committee. That is at AmericanVoicePAC.org. R.C., thank you so much for your time today.
1: Hey, a punch is definitely worth talking to you,